are on the line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on FoxSports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7500. Man, oh man, what is going on in college football? You are on the line with Lance Dawn, Noah Gardner on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama 98.3 FM. A fantastic weekend of college football did we have uh, on, uh, on Saturday. Just fantastic games all over the place. It feels like we had three game of the year potential matchups and that does not include two other top 10 teams falling, BYU and Penn State. Just a monster week in college football. Noah, up in the mothership in Silicaga, how are you doing today? I just want to remind you guys that I did say I didn't feel great about BYU winning that football game against Boise State. Y'all told me to convince you, and I had written down on my sheet of paper, Boise State, and I crossed it out. And at about 4 p.m. when I was inside Jordan-Hare Stadium, I saw the score up and I said, yep, should have listened to my gut. I wanted you to sell me on it. I didn't know why uh, it, the line was so small. I didn't know why BYU was favored. I believe it was only by about six points. And I, I needed somebody to convince me because I just didn't know enough about the matchup. But uh, your gut was right there. A&M beats Alabama in College Station 41-38 to was the final first time Nick Saban has lost to an assistant coach ever. He is now 24-1 and against his former assistant coaches. First time Alabama's lost to an unranked team since 2007. We're going to break down that matchup more later on in the show. I don't want to give myself too much credit because if you had told me that this was going to happen this weekend, I would have thought you were crazy. But I did say in the preseason when we were doing our picks that A&M would lose to Arkansas and then beat Alabama I'm not trying to say that I'm right I'm just saying man preseason me was on something because that it, college football is is wild right now but we want to get into to start the show Auburn's 34 to 10 loss to Georgia Georgia looking like the best team in college football right now just completing other dominance on Saturday Auburn had multiple chances I felt early to get into this game had some good things going for him that first drive from the offense the way that it was scripted absolutely perfect Auburn was playing well and then there was an interception early that was not Nix's fault and things just kind of seemed to go downhill from there so Noah to start off the show what was one of your impressions from this loss before we get into that I do want to say this hashtag Jocktober Atlanta Braves three run home run let's go Peterson Braves are up three zero on top of the Milwaukee Brewers in the bottom of the fifth with one out. I know you guys aren't watching it in the studio. Shame on you. Put it on the TV right now, and let's keep folks updated on what's going on in this ball game. Just turn it over to TBS. I know you guys can watch it in the studio. Do it during the break. I'm disappointed. I, I, I don't even need to be in there to know y'all aren't watching the ball game. But going back to the Auburn-Georgia game, 34-10, to 10, The score looks like dominance, and leaving Saturday's action, I do think Georgia is the number one team in the country. At this point, I think they have shown to be the best team in the country. I still think Alabama is the second best team in the country, and I'll explain that later on in the show, but Georgia very much so deserves to be number one. That's a given, 
But I didn't leave Saturday thinking that Georgia was invincible. And I didn't leave Saturday thinking that Auburn played poorly. I was disappointed that Auburn lost by 24. I was disappointed that it was still a lopsided final score. But it felt different. It did feel like to me. Now, other folks may be so disappointed that it clouds their judgment at this point. But I'll be honest with you. I felt like Auburn was in this game from a physicality standpoint. They're just clearly not as talented. They're clearly not as good. Auburn gave it their best effort. They tried to stand toe-to-toe with them from a physicality standpoint. And I think for about two and a half quarters, they did that. But as you pointed out on Friday, and you were right about this, Georgia's going to wear you down at some point. And at this moment in college football, where we stand right now, I don't believe there are any teams in college football that can go toe-to-toe with that team in the trenches. Absolutely, yeah. And we currently now have the uh, the Braves game up in, uh, up in the studio. We'll keep you all updated on what's going on there. I've received word that the Milwaukee Brewers pitcher is actually Jock Peterson's son. We'll have to confirm that over the break. But just a fantastic, fantastic uh, home run there. 3 nothing Atlanta, bottom of the fifth. And yeah, uh, we, we kind of – this wasn't like a oh – I'm, I'm proud that I predicted this because a lot of people had the, a, a very similar stance on this game. It's like, look, Georgia's just really good offensively and defensively when it comes to in the trenches, the way that they play. And Auburn in the first half, I mean, they were in it. They had only given up, what, 30-something yards rushing to Georgia. They had held their own. They hadn't allowed a whole lot of pressure, a, a whole lot of sacks. Knicks was able to kind of get away from it. And then in the second half, Georgia just kind of – they just kind of willed their way in the running game. I mean, it was just run after run after run. They were bleeding the clock, and Auburn's defensive line just could not hold up. And like you mentioned, Noah, I think it's a really good point. I don't think Georgia's invincible because, again, there were a lot of times in the first half where Auburn could have gotten in the game, and uh, and, and Georgia just had things bounce their way. I think Georgia is definitely a beatable opponent. We've seen teams so far this season that we thought were unbeatable lose, looking at Alabama losing to A&M over the weekend. But yeah, I didn't leave this game disappointed in Auburn. I left the game thinking we just ran into the best team in the country. They're better offensively and defensively in a lot of different areas, and we just got outmatched. It's just the way it was. I actually left the game feeling confident about the rest of the season. Disappointed, but I did leave the game thinking, okay, This team has a shot if they play clean football and they continue to improve. This team has a shot to be 9-2 and going into the Iron Bowl. And with Alabama's loss to Texas A&M, it split the SEC West wide open. Auburn theoretically can lose to another SEC West opponent and still be playing for the SEC West title come the Iron Bowl in November. I would prefer that loss not be to Ole Miss because I believe Ole Miss has the talent as well to win out, and then you would be potentially looking at a three-way tie of one loss or a – or well, in that instance, I'm trying to think. Ole Miss would have – Ole Miss has just the one SEC loss in this instance. So say Ole Miss wins out, you would be looking at Ole Miss winning the SEC West if Auburn were to lose to them. So I would prefer if that loss were to come to somebody other than Ole Miss, but if Auburn were to lose to Arkansas this weekend – The wiggle room is that Arkansas probably will lose to Alabama in a couple weeks whenever they play. I think that actually may be the game before they play Auburn. So in late November, Arkansas would more than likely lose to Alabama. And then Arkansas has three SEC losses. Auburn would just have two. Alabama would just have the one. If Auburn goes on to beat Alabama, 
then Auburn would be able to go to the SEC championship game, right? Um, Ole Miss still with just the one loss, so I think they would need another loss as well. But at this point, Auburn does still control their own destiny. And based on what we saw on Saturday between Arkansas and Ole Miss, I think that Auburn could very well be better than Arkansas, could, be, could very well be better than Ole Miss, could be better than A&M, all of these teams left on their schedule. And then it'll be down to it, 9-2, Iron Bowl. And, you know, it'll be another game where it'll be highly propped up and can Auburn pull off an upset and get to the SEC Championship for a rematch with Georgia. Yeah, and that's one of the impressions that I also had from this game is like, look, Auburn has the opportunity to still win the SEC West. And I was on the phone with a friend late Saturday night, and we were talking about the Alabama A&M game, and they were like, well, it feels like Alabama have, definitely has the ability to come back in this game. That, that was when it was 24-10, to 10, and I was like, here, listen, if, Auburn, if Alabama loses this game, it gives Auburn insurance because they can afford to lose to another opponent and still get to, to, to the Iron Bowl and beat Alabama and go to the SEC championship game. My impression was Auburn is not out of anything yet this season. Are they out of the playoff? Potentially, they'd have to really show out, and they'd have to really impress in the SEC. they cha- are. Uh, if they win the SEC championship game, I think they get in. I think you're right. looking at a two-team. I think even uh, presumably Georgia, if they're to play from the East in the SEC championship game, I think they both get into the playoff. But what I'm yep. saying is right now, Auburn's not out of anything. They still have everything out in front of them. They have things they have to work on, things they need to improve on. They've got Arkansas this weekend, and then, then they've got a bye. It's really important that Auburn focuses each and every week on their individual matchups and goes out there, and they put together a complete performance. They cannot slip up. You look at the rest of the schedule, they cannot slip up in any spot. Arkansas, Ole Miss, A&M, Mississippi State, they've got South Carolina on the road. You would think that's the easiest game left on the schedule, but it's still in Columbia. And then you've got Alabama to finish the season. So while they have everything out in front of them, they've still got a very difficult task if they're going to try and get to that Iron Bowl undefeated. And uh, and, and they, uh, they'll definitely have the opportunity to pull the upset. It's just whether or not they can. As long as Auburn doesn't lose to Ole Miss and they beat Alabama – Auburn can lose to another team on their schedule and still go to the SEC championship game. I mean, that's how it that's how it plays out right now because then Ole Miss would have two losses and you would be looking at a three-way tie for the top of the SEC West between Ole Miss, Alabama, and Auburn, and Auburn would have beaten the other two teams. They would have the they would have the tiebreaker over that. And that's how you would get to the SEC West. That would that would be how you'd be crowned SEC West champions. You'd be going to the SEC championship to play Georgia. Um, because I feel comfortable in saying that Mississippi State is going to lose another game. Texas A&M still already has two losses. If Auburn once again were to, you know, if Auburn were to lose to them, I still think A&M's got other losses on their schedule, like Ole Miss and, and among other teams. I mean, I, I still think that that A&M game, while they played great, I'm not certain that they're going to go unscathed for the rest of the year. LSU's going to lose to Florida this week. I mean, there, there's other losses for the other SEC teams right now that I feel more comfortable in saying those will be losses than looking at Ole Miss's schedule where I do think that there's a little bit more of an easier route for them to finish the year um, maybe with just one loss in the SEC, especially if they were able to beat Auburn. Because I do think Ole Miss is better than Tennessee this week, LSU. Um, the Auburn game is going to be a doozy. The Liberty game doesn't matter for the for the reasons of this argument. I think they're better than A&M. I think they're better than Vanderbilt. They're better than Mississippi State, right? So, like, I don't know if I see another loss on this Ole Miss schedule other than to maybe Auburn or unless A&M continues to get a lot better. So, they're still – the SEC West got cracked wide open when when Alabama lost. And so, Auburn folks should be leaving the, the Georgia game or at least should be waking up on Sunday feeling encouraged 
by the fight that the team had against Georgia and the fact that the way Auburn lost to Georgia, although the final score, although the ends were still a lopsided loss like other years, it felt different and it felt like Auburn was competitive. Kind of going back to breaking down this matchup a little bit, you take a look at it and you say, all right, if John Samuel Shanker catches that pass in the end zone on the first drive, 7-0 to zero sculpts this game in a vastly different way moving forward just to be up seven to zero because you'd be down 17 to seven and a half and that feels a lot different than 17 to three but say that you score that touchdown you get a three and out after that which is what happened and then say Sean Shivers catches the football or 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 at least doesn't bat it up in the air you know off of his shoulder pads for a Georgia player to intercept it that changed the game right there when Georgia got that short field and Auburn still stopped them Auburn still held them to a field goal and it, it was only three to three so imagine even if Auburn was up 7-3 to three in that instance and that Sean Shivers interception still happened. The game feels different at that point. And then if you get the pass interference call at the end, which I'm not one to, to like to talk about officiating that often, but it does affect football games. And that was an instance where earlier in the ballgame, you saw Darnell Washington stiff-arming Roger McCreary on the sideline. They call defensive pass interference rather than offensive pass interference. That sets up a Georgia scoring drive. And Georgia, fine, they score, but don't call the pass interference. Don't don't you know fail to call the pass interference late in the ball game where there's clearly contact there in the end zone. If that's called, you end up with like a first down and one and a half uh, from the one and a half yard line. It's still going to be a task to score with that little of time left. But if Auburn were to get it into the end zone there, um, you know you're looking at a 17 to 14 ball game possibly or a 14 to 14 ball game it's just a completely different game because of those three plays that Auburn did not execute on those are the ones that I point out but it wasn't just those plays it was other plays that I namely point to the receiving core where Auburn could have been moving the chains I think I saw Justin Ferguson earlier today tweet out that Bo Nix's adjusted completion percentage to account for the drops it would have been like 87.5 percent had Auburn not been dropping passes left and right. You point to the receivers here and you say, if Auburn could have moved the chains a few more times, the game would have been different. And that's uh, that's another takeaway that I had another impression. And like you mentioned, Ferguson put out earlier, uh, Auburn Auburn's completion percentage, or Bo Nix's completion percentage rather, 53.8%. And like you just mentioned, adjusted completion percentage would have been 87.5%. Auburn had seven drops, according to Pro Football Focus, against Georgia. It felt like 30. They currently lead the, C- or lead the SEC with 23. They're on pace to have 50 if they get to a bowl game. And I, it's just not – It's not. I don't think this is on necessarily – You know, fi- it, This is like, well, we fire your receivers, coach. Oh, wait, you can't. Ha-ha. This is not on Eric Keysaw. This is just simply what we were left with after Gus Malzahn left. These were just the recruits that were here. The coaching staff did the best they could. They got Demetrius Robertson in the transfer portal. He's made a couple of impressive catches, but just the drops have been plaguing in this team all season. And like you mentioned, Noah, had Auburn been able to catch even half of these, half of these passes, these these seven drops, I feel like Auburn would definitely have been in a lot of better spots to go down and score and make this a more competitive game. I'm not saying that it would have won Auburn the game. I'm not saying that the pass interference call that wasn't called in the end zone at the end of the first half would have potentially won Auburn the game, even though it was defensive pass interference and they should have called that every day of the week. I'm saying it would have made it more competitive and it would have definitely allowed Auburn to get back into the game and put themselves in a position to where they could have won it. So drops and and the inconsistencies in the first half were just really frustrating. Yeah, and I want to add to that, you're 100% right. Just because if those plays did go Auburn's way, 
does not mean that Auburn would have won the football game, but people's perspective of the game changes. Exactly. Right? And I don't want to say, you know, I don't want to get into this, you know, this shoulda, woulda, coulda, you know, you're, you're right. It, it, Auburn didn't make the plays. Thus, Auburn was 24 points worse than Georgia that day. Those drops matter. Auburn's obviously not good enough to make those plays at this point. But I don't want people calling out Bo Nix saying that he didn't play a good game because he did play a good game. And I don't want people calling out this coaching staff because I think they called a good game and I think they put these players in a position to succeed. And also, I'm really proud of the way that the team performed from a physical from a physicality standpoint and going toe-to-toe with this Georgia team. At the end of the day, though, everybody has to make plays. Football is a game of 11-on-11. And if any one individual fails to do their job, job it jeopardizes the integrity of each and every single play yep. you have to have all 11 guys making the right plays everybody's got to be doing their job and if they're not the play will fail and that happened to Auburn way too often Auburn would have at least been in the game and I think Auburn would still be ranked today if people would have watched the game a little bit more closely than that but the national perspective, the national perspective, as given to us by the fact that Auburn's out of the AP top twenty-five, must be they were waiting to drop Auburn from the rankings. They were looking for an excuse to say Auburn's not a very good football team, and they can say, "Well, Auburn got blown out by twenty-four points." You want my opinion on that? Arkansas got beat thirty-seven to zero, and they dropped like five spots in the AP poll to thirteen, and then they lose again to Ole Miss this week, and they're still top eighteen or whatever they are. Like, are we serious? Auburn's lost to two top 10 teams. You're dropping them from the top 25. Get out of here with that. That is just uh, hypocrisy. And on top of that, I, I, I cited in an article that I wrote recently on Auburn Wire, I feel like there are four or five teams in the top 25 that Auburn should be ranked over right now. And it just feels absolutely ridiculous to me. And I agree with everything you said there about the way that the that the narrative and the perspective changes on this game if Auburn were to make those plays. On the other side of this break, we continue to talk about our impressions of Auburn's 34-10 loss against the number one ranked Bulldogs. You're listening to On the Line. Back on On the Line, Lance Stahl, Noah Gardner here with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. If you want to call in and give your thoughts on Auburn's 34-10 loss to Georgia over the weekend, call in 334-321-1390 is the number to dial or text us at 334-564-1840. I want to get back to our impressions of Auburn's loss to Georgia. And one of my other impressions that I had is that while the offensive line did kind of break down in the second half, I felt like they held up a lot better than some of these other offensive lines that Georgia's faced this season. I agree with that. I felt like Auburn's offensive line held up fairly well. Now, you leave the ball game having allowed four sacks. You're up to seven now total on the season. But Bo Nix had time to throw for two and a half quarters. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, you get to later on in the fourth and things start to break down and some guys' countenance and and morale begins to drop as the score gets more and more lopsided. Georgia begins to wear on you. They start to blitz a little bit more. I thought they gave Bo Nix plenty of time to throw. I thought Bo Nix had time to deliver it accurate accurate balls, which is exactly what he did. And I thought there were a lot of instances that folks would be saying, well, he left the pocket and all this and that. It's like... Yeah, because the offensive line gave him three-plus seconds to sit in the pocket and throw downfield. His receivers just weren't open. I had a couple of people in my section at the game getting a little antsy about that, and I'm I'm like, look, 20 yards down the field. They're blanketed. They're all covered. 
well, who's he going to throw to the other team? You know, like that was kind of, that was how I took away from it. I thought the offensive line play, played great. And also thought first couple of drives, they did a good job. Now this changed as the game went on because Georgia realized that Auburn couldn't throw the ball and they started bringing more and more players into the box. So this changed, but I felt like early on when Georgia still to a degree respected Auburn's passing game before Auburn showed them that it wasn't to be respected. Um, Auburn did a good job of getting a solid three, four yards per carry on the ground. And if you look at it, Georgia finished the day with four yards per carry. If Auburn could have maintained that throughout the entire game while also completing their passes, Auburn would have been in a very good spot going into the fourth quarter. Something else I also want to point out, like you mentioned about these receivers not getting open. I saw some people, and I'm not I'm not about to go on a hateful rant, but I saw some people on Twitter and I saw some people just across social media saying TJ Finley should have either played played more in this game or should have started in the second half. And my question is, what is TJ Finley going to do that Bo Nix didn't do, right? The receivers were dropping passes. Bo Nix was at least getting away from the pressure. TJ Finley is not mobile. He would not have been able to get away from Georgia's pressure that they started to bring in the second half. It just wouldn't have happened. And you can't tell me that TJ Finley would not have either gotten close to turning the ball over or turned the ball over against Georgia's defense. I just don't think that he would have been the answer. He was not solving the problem on Saturday. While Bo Nix was not playing out of his mind like he was against LSU, he was not the reason that Auburn lost this game. If you're looking at a list of reasons why Auburn lost, I would say that Bo Nix is performing performance was probably fifth or sixth on that list and sure he missed some throws right he missed John Samuel Schenker being open one time he missed Landon King down the field open he missed some reads but he was not the reason why Auburn was losing this game as bad as they were Sting? also I think it's natural for quarterbacks of any level to miss those things right and right. sure some of that is on Bo yes but at the same time I think some plays like you don't us in the stands. We don't know where the first read is, you know, and maybe that could be down the line. That could be one of his last reads and us all on the, all us all on the stands. It could be easy to say, well, he's wide open downfield. Why didn't he just throw it to him? It's like, well, maybe that's not how the play unfolded. You know, maybe he didn't have time to get to that part in his progression to actually see that he, that he was open. You know I mean? There's, there's a lot of different factors that people don't consider in the stands. And I thought Bo played really well. Um, you know, Sure, he didn't make some of the magical plays that he did in the LSU game, but you're also not playing LSU. You're playing Georgia. And Bo finished 21 for 38, 217 yards in a pick. The pick wasn't his fault. John Samuel Shanker should have called a touchdown pass. So there would have been at least one TD. And then you account for all the drops. If if, if Auburn do, doesn't drop the ball five of the seven times, you're all of a sudden adding another you know 30 or 40 yards to his total to up to about 250 or a little bit over that. And he's 24 for 38, and his numbers look a little bit better, you know, and he's got a touchdown there and no picks. So I think your opinion of Bo Nix is shaped by also his receiver play, and he hasn't, he didn't get a whole lot of help there. He didn't. And as soon as they started catching the football, what did Auburn do? They marched the ball down the field and they scored a touchdown. And they were making some good catches. Demetrius Robinson made a good catch down the sideline. But before that, I mean, I'm telling you, it's whenever they did get open, they didn't catch it. Sting. Yeah, I just wanted to jump in and agree with you guys. I was sitting in the student section for this game, and Finley came in in that last drive in garbage time and completed that uh, his first pass attempt. And this guy behind me was like, TJ Finley is so much better than Bo Nix. And I just turned around and looked at him and was like, are we watching the same game? I, I, just, I just wanted to agree with you guys there. Because like, if, if TJ Finley was truly that much better than Bo Nix, then he would be playing. I think you could probably 
have uh, hold some water with an argument that like Gus Malzahn never benched Bo because he felt some sort of loyalty to him or whatever. You can say that all you want. This staff doesn't have that to Knicks. If, if Finley gives Auburn a better chance to win a football game, then he's going to play. Exactly. Yeah, and look, you can't look at three of five in garbage time from Finley and say, oh, he would have won this, won this game had he played the entire way because that was garbage time. Literally, yeah. nothing mattered at that point. Exactly. So, yeah, just, I'm just tired of hearing that. I'm just tired of hearing that, you know, Finley's so much better than Bo and, like, what, what are you watching? Because if he was, like you just mentioned, I think he would be playing a lot more. And I'm not I'm not hating on the kid. I don't think he's a terrible quarterback. It's just the situation right now with Knicks. I think he gives us the best chance to win. I think a lot of that hinges on his mobility down the line. And in this game, when Auburn gets pressure, TJ Finley's not going to be able to extend plays and make those magical throws and those magical moments in that backyard football like Knicks can. Yeah, and I think I still think and we got to toe the line here. I, I still think that there's a lot of potential there for TJ Finley to be a really good quarterback down the line. There's also still a lot of development to be had there. And he's still also very young. And I think, you know, what we saw in the Georgia state game is kind of a glimpse at that potential. But I also think people need to understand as sting was just saying is like, look, Brian Harson doesn't have any connection to Auburn. He doesn't have any predetermined loyalties to any of these players. Even if Gus Malzahn had that or not, that's irrelevant now because he's gone and Brian Harson doesn't have that. At the end of the day, Brian Harson knows that he needs to win football games, and he's trying to set a good impression not only with the fan base and and the boosters and and, and everybody involved at Auburn. He's he's trying to set a good impression there. But on top of that, he's trying to set a good impression with the recruits. And Brian Harson is not going to play the inferior quarterback just for connection purposes, right? And also look inside the locker room and look at how the players responded to Bo Nix's performance in the LSU game and how so many guys came out and said, Bo Nix is my quarterback and and how they've rallied around him. There, there is no quarterback controversy here. None at all. None at all. And also, you mentioned the recruits. I mean, Auburn got one over the weekend. Drew Bobo, three-star offensive lineman, son of Mike Bobo. Auburn was, uh, was able to pick it up there. Uh, you look at the 24-7 sports rankings right now. Auburn's still 14th in the SEC, 40th in, in, in the country. But you look at the average ranking per recruit, and they were 7th in the SEC. So Auburn's got some work to do there, but I'm glad that they were able to pick up a recruit over the weekend. At least they beat Georgia in something. On the other side of this break, we're going to continue our breakdown of Auburn versus Georgia. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. You're on the line with Lance Dahl, Noah Gardner on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Intern Sting behind the controls today. Going to continue to talk about this Auburn versus Georgia matchup. And I want to look kind of into the futures. We're halfway through the season, you know, at this point in the year, you would kind of think that we have kind of a somewhat of a picture painted as to how the rest of the season is going to go. But after Alabama lost to, uh, last night or two nights ago, rather, I feel like just everything's just kind of up in the air. And I want to look at Auburn specifically. How far away is this Auburn team from really putting it together this season? Because they've got the pieces. They've got the talent. They showed that they could do it on the road against LSU. They could put it together. They could beat a team in a place that they hadn't won since 1999. 
And look, they definitely had their opportunities in this game, but they just ran into a buzzsaw, ran into the best team in the country. Looking down the road now, they've still got some really tough matchups ahead, but it feels like Auburn can really put it together and get to that nine win, eight win point that you know we're predicting in the preseason. So how far away is Auburn from truly getting to that point? I don't think they're that far away. They're literally, like I said in the first segment, they are John Samuel Shanker catching a football in the end zone, pass interference getting called at the end of the first half, Sean Shivers not dropping an interception into the hands of a Georgia defensive back. They're those little things away from being competitive with the currently ranked number one team in the country. And thus, in our opinion, leaving that ball game far, if Auburn had lost that close, you got to believe that Auburn fans are super juiced up going into today. Disappointed that they didn't win, but juiced up and confident and optimistic that Auburn could win out and go nine and two and, and go into that iron Bowl with a shot to go to the SEC championship. And that is still laid out in front of Auburn. There is still the potential to do that. Honestly, Auburn could lose this weekend and there's still potential to do that with the way that with, with what Alabama's loss to Texas A&M did for the rest of the SEC West. So it's wide open there. Auburn can easily Auburn can go into Fayetteville, win another huge road game and at an 11 a.m. kickoff, which, by the way, that's on CBS, everybody. That was just announced. That's on CBS, not ESPN. That game, once again, 11 a.m. CBS game. You can go into Fayetteville. You can win that game, shut that place down. You can get the confidence to come back at home after a bye week, might I add, a chance to really try and take a huge step and work on yourself for the first time this season during a week rather than having to work on a major opponent for what seems to be the you know the umpteenth time in a row you then get to take a break focus on yourself get healthy that's also another important thing you know get some of these guys who have been nicked up a little bit fully healthy beat Ole Miss man you should have confidence playing A&M in College Station with your track record and with the way that that team has been so up and down this year Mississippi State South Carolina are very winnable I mean, it's all in front of you. It really is. It just comes down to bouncing back this week on the road at Arkansas. And even if you were to lose on the road at Arkansas, you're still not out of contention for the SEC title. You still control your own destiny if you were to win out. You are you will still have a very good shot at making the, the SEC championship if you win out. That's what happened in that Alabama loss to A&M. So there's a lot of work to be done with this receiving core. And honestly, it comes down to just guys catching passes. If Auburn can learn how to catch passes, this thing that this thing changes dramatically. Absolutely, because it allows Auburn to sustain drives. It allows their run game to get going because then teams have to respect that as well. And it just allows them to play better, more efficiently. And, and look, like you mentioned, even if Auburn doesn't get to that nine-win point, coming into that Iron Bowl, I still think an eight-win team, heck, even just if Auburn goes seven and five this season, right? They win their bowl game, they go at eight and five or seven and six. That's still, I feel like, an accomplishment for this thing to not have imploded year one under Brian Harson with with all of the things, the external factors that were on Auburn in, in, coming into the season and the turmoil that they had early on with Bo Nix and having to swap him out for Finley, for them to be able to recover from that, and to be able to put together seven, eight, potentially nine wins in the regular season, I think that's incredibly impressive. I think moving forward, you have to have a lot of faith in this coaching staff. Like, okay, once they get their recruits in, once they get their guys in, this is going to be a much better team. They're going to be more competitive. And that look, that's what we asked for. Auburn was not competitive on Saturday against Georgia. And I'm not saying that as like a that's a that's a terrible thing and, and changes should be made. I feel like a lot of people expected that. 
And I think it's just going to take time for Auburn to get to the point where they are competing and they are potentially beating some of these teams like Georgia and Alabama. But as far as this season goes right now, Auburn set itself up in a position to where they can still win the SEC West halfway through the season that is still on the table. And that that surprises me. And I'm very pleased with the way that this team has handled itself uh, six weeks in. But the other question is, you and I can single it down to one position group, I think, at this point in the year. I think we've got enough information to say that the biggest issue for Auburn, we have seen all of the other groups improve each and every week. I think quarterback play has gotten better. It's still not exactly where I want it to be. I'm not absolving Bo Nix completely from all blame. I don't think you could do that either because he's still not perfect. No quarterback's perfect, and he's still a middle-of-the-pack QB in this league. But I think he's playing at a much higher caliber uh, against good teams. He's more competitive against good teams to even the point of winning a death Valley on the road and playing one of his best games of his career. Like he's obviously reached another level that Gus Malzahn wasn't able to unlock. That's true. But is he, is he still complete with it without blame? No, but I would still put near, I would still put a mass majority of the blame on the receivers. The offensive line has played much better than anybody was giving it credit for in the preseason. And then you look on the defensive side of the football, the secondary should be playing better than it is right now. They've given up a big play or two in their two losses this season that have kind of crippled the team's efforts to be able to try and make a comeback. You think of Lad McConkey's touchdown there at the end. You're like, how is this guy, how is the third string tight end continuing to torch this team? What is going on? And, um, you know, so there have been a couple of big plays that have happened. I would love to see more of Jalen Simpson, but I think this team's been very good at run stopping. And the 34 points just came from a factor of the offense wasn't moving the football and they were wearing you down. So, I mean, eventually that was going to happen. Eventually the defense is going to buckle. So I, I think the defense has played well to this point. If they could just get some run support. You know, I mean, you look at a pitcher in baseball, they need run support or else they're still going to take the L. You know, at some point, Auburn's got to get that on the offensive side of the football. And if they can start, and and I think they have a real opportunity to generate that. Look at the defenses they're about to play. They just combined for over 100 points this past weekend. You know, (laughs) like Arkansas is bleeding yardage in points right now. Granted, against good football teams, but I think Auburn's a good football team and has the ability to score on them, you know? And, and Ole Miss's defense is not improved. You can't sell me on that one bit. If it is, it's marginal. So Auburn should be able to do something that they haven't been able to do for the last couple of weeks, and that's run the football. And how does this offense open up when these guys can start uncorking Jarquez Hunter and Tank Bigsby? They're still just, – just by factor of some of the talented teams that Auburn's played up to this point and how they had the ability to pack out the box – Ole Miss and Arkansas, I don't think, can afford to do that because I do think Auburn's passing game against those secondaries should be able to at least move the chains and create some big plays. Things are about to get easier for this Auburn offense down the stretch up until that Iron Bowl. I, I think Auburn is, is on the one hand, so close to putting it all together, but there's that one position group, the wide receivers, that also seem to be so far away from where they need to be at, and it's like, can they get better in a hurry? A question that we had this offseason was not having is not having a number one guy, a true number one receiver going to hurt Auburn this season. And can they find that? 
Through six games, Auburn has four players with over 200 receiving yards, and they've still not found that number one guy, at least in my opinion, and some people may disagree with that. It is it has not helped help this offense that they are dropping passes as con- consistently as they are. And like you mentioned, Noah, Auburn's got a shot in these next couple of games whenever they play teams like Arkansas and Ole Miss. They should be able to run the ball, but what will truly set them over the edge and truly win them those games is their ability to actually create some plays in the passing game. These receivers have to start catching passes in order for this team to win those matchups and get to that 9 eight win kind of level that we believe that this Auburn Tiger team can it's just whether or not these receivers can create separation and actually make those catches because let me tell you something these receivers will be open against Arkansas and Ole Miss's secondary we, we, we will see times where receivers are running open will Bo Nix find them will they make the catch I think that is the biggest question you have to have a passing and running game in the in the SEC in this day and age you have to be able to throw the football and complement it with a solid ground game it's what makes Ole Miss so special they ran for over 300 yards against Arkansas and they have an offense that everybody thinks is just about passing They have a dual threat in Matt Corral. They are able to do so many different things for Auburn to become more dynamic. I believe they have the ability to do it. They have to be able to complete some of these passes. They haven't so far this season, at least not consistently, but that's the question, right? Like you said, it's this one position group. If Auburn can just figure it out with this one position group, they're going to have a chance to win five straight. Just call it like I see it, five straight before uh, before they play Alabama at the end of the year. I'm going to be honest with you. Auburn's best receivers are their tight ends. Yep. And I I think that is their go-to. I think John Samuel Shanker is their go-to receiver. You see a lot of plays that are specifically designed for him, him alone. There aren't a ton of plays designed specifically for any one receiver in this receiving core. I think Kobe Hudson's beginning to get to that point in this offense. And this past weekend, I'm trying to think, he may have been responsible for one. I don't feel like we saw as many major drop issues from Kobe Hudson as we saw from him in the first five games of the season. I think Kobe Hudson had a fairly good game, but I I look at this tight end group and honestly, like going into this ball game, we didn't break down the tight ends versus the Georgia linebackers that much, but it does make sense to me that Knicks wasn't able to find the tight ends that much, mainly because Georgia's linebackers are part of an elite special tier of players in college football that can drop back into coverage and can cover a tight end. And I don't think that I'm not putting John Samuel Shanker or any of these other Auburn tight ends in an elite category of pass catching tight ends. They're, they're not Travis Kelsey's running around out there. They're not Jalen Weidermeyer's. They're not, you know, Cameron Latu's or, or Jaleel Billingsley's or Kyle Pitts. They're, they're not these elite route running fast, you know, athletic specimens at tight end yet. They're not there yet. I think there are some guys in this tight end room that can be really, really good pass-catching tight ends before it's all said and done. And I'm so pumped to see Michael Riley Ducker step foot on this campus because that dude's going to be a beast in the passing game. I think the talent is there. But right now, the go-to receiver in in this core is John Samuel Schenker in my mind. And is that enough for Auburn? No way. That's, it's proven to not be enough. Is that a knock on Shanker? No. I wouldn't want my tight end to be my go-to receiver anyway. I would want an actual wide receiver to be that. But I do think that there's some opportunity against the defenses that Auburn will be playing against. I know there was a lot of love for those Arkansas linebackers, but I think Auburn's going to be able to do a lot of things against Arkansas and Ole Miss over the next three weeks 
to be able to scheme some things for these tight ends, to be able to exploit these linebackers because they're not as good in coverage. There's going to be some broken plays downfield. I'm expecting bundles of yardage at a time for guys like John Samuel Shanker, Tyler Fromm, even Landon King got out there. More and more Auburn tight ends are getting factored into this offense, and that's a good thing that I think we saw on Saturday. We saw three different tight ends out there at any one time. Two different ones called a pass. So there's a lot to like about this tight end room. And, and honestly, what was it, like 10 different Auburn players called a pass on Saturday? Yep. I would like somebody to emerge as a go-to receiver, and that is a negative that that doesn't exist yet. But on the flip side, there is a positive that Bo Nix is comfortable spreading the football to so many different players. You're just looking for someone to, uh, you're just looking for all these guys to not have stone hands that uh, we wouldn't be complaining about this. If they didn't have stone hands, if they were all catching the football and 10 different guys caught it and nobody really emerged as like a dominant piece, but they just all caught it. That would be ideal, but that's not what happened. And um, so you're, you're waiting for that to occur. I just want people to catch the football. I, that's all I want. I, I, don't, I don't even need a go-to guy because I don't think that's going to happen this year. I just want someone to catch the football. That's kind of where I'm sitting right now as well. And like you mentioned, it's not a knock on Shinker, but I would like for one of my wide receivers to be good enough to actually kind of lead this team uh, in terms of being that that number one target, even though I'm really happy with what the Shinker's done so far and I'm happy with the production from him. But it's just these receivers have not been able to get open a whole lot. And when they have... It's just they've not been catching the ball consistently. It's really frustrating. And like we both said, I feel like they're going to have opportunities to do so against Arkansas and Ole Miss. They're going to have times where they just get open. It's just whether or not they make those catches. On the other side of this break, we wrap up our number one of the show. Wrapping up our number one of On the Line, Lance Daw, Noah Gardner here with you. If you want to call in, give your thoughts on what happened over the weekend in college football or anything in sports going on, 334-321-1390 is the number to dial to give you an update on the Atlanta-Milwaukee game. 3-0 Atlanta still, bottom of the seventh, one out. Looks like Atlanta's going to try and hold on there. Wrapping up our number one of the show, want to briefly talk about the Texas A&M-Alabama game, 41 41- to 38 was the final score. This was a game where AM got up early. Like I mentioned at one point, it was 24 to 10, 17 to 7 at one point as well. And it still felt like Alabama was going to be able to come back into the game and win it. And they did get a lead. It was 38 31 Alabama at one point in the matchup. But AM was able to respond. They were able to put together drives. The offensive line, with all the injuries and issues up front, they were able to sustain drives. Zach Calzada played absolutely out of his mind. And this is what it takes to beat Alabama, right? It takes a perfect performance from your team in a lot of different phases. It takes you winning the turnover battle. It usually takes something in the kicking game that Alabama just completely whiffs on. But this time, it was it was A&M making a field goal with one second left. It, it, was, it was just the perfect storm for Alabama. And it just kind of, kind of, puts together everything that has happened so far this call in this college football season. It's it's bottled up all in one game, just the chaos and just the unexpectedness of an unranked team beating a team like Alabama. You know, it kind of felt it kind of felt different, right? Like this wasn't the normal way that Alabama loses. Alabama got manhandled. Well, the at the end of the day, though, it was still a three-point win, and they were able to come back and, and, and get that game close, and they, they were able to lead it. So what I'm saying is, like, 
sure they got manhandled up front, but this was this is in my mind this was very similar to the 2019 Iron Bowl. It just there weren't two pick sixes. It was a kickoff return for a touchdown. It was back and forth wild after after uh, after A and M built a lead. I believe the last time Alabama actually was down double digits to a team was that 2019 Iron Bowl. A and M was able to, to 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 hold things together and to respond. It took Auburn getting a little lucky with a missed field goal late in that game to win it. It took A and M just holding together, I feel like, in, in in this matchup. So while they were able to establish themselves offensively and defensively in the trenches, like much like Georgia was against Al- or against Auburn, it felt like these were the necessary components to kind of beat Alabama. It you need you need a perfect game, essentially to get stuff like that done and in A&M was was able to 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 uh to play better I feel like in a lot of different phases. And it wasn't even really a, a perfect game from Texas A&M. I think it was that much of an imperfect game too from Alabama. The two turnovers from Alabama doesn't help them. We've talked about how many times Alabama has you have to win the turnover battle against Alabama oftentimes to upset them, which does not happen often. I mean Alabama still put up 522 total yards. A&M put up 379. What was so impressive to me about this was A&M's ability to, to last in the trenches for so long and even overcome an interception from Zach Calzada and just generally be able to hold on in this football game to be able to pull it off. It just feels different. Like A&M controlled this game like for so long. And then Alabama, of course, made their comeback like we all expected them to, but A&M still barred the door. Like I, I, it just—it's so weird to me that that a team could have held that two touchdown lead for as long as they did. We just don't see that hardly ever when Alabama loses. Oftentimes, it's something dramatic at the end, like you pointed out. And I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying this one felt different to me. This this one kind of felt like oh, like Alabama's reached this level. A- Alabama's at this level this year where. On the one hand, we see the dominance that they can be against a team like Ole Miss, who you and I, I'm sure, believe are better than Texas Mm A&M. You can see how good they can be in that instance, how dominant they can be in the trenches, how they can just shove somebody around. And then you can also see what they look like when they play Florida and Texas A&M. And the inconsistency that Alabama has put on film at this point, yes, they're five and one. I think the storyline could be Alabama's fortunate to be five and one because if there was four minutes left in that Florida game, I think Alabama's four and two, right? I mean, th- this Alabama team is very beatable. Unfortunately, for people out there hoping for them to lose again, uh, you're gonna have to wait a little while. <laughs> you're gonna have to wait until November because I don't think that there are many teams left in front of them that match up well with them. Really, I don't think anybody matches up at least decently with them until you get to the Iron Bowl. And I'm not saying that Auburn's going to win that game, but the only reason why I say Auburn matches up well with them decently is because it's in Jordan-Hare Stadium, and we saw Auburn at least attempt to go toe-to-toe and was able to do it for two and a half quarters from a physicality standpoint with Georgia. And we know Auburn can run the football. And if Auburn can establish the run like AM was able to do it, if Auburn, and we've seen this in 2019, a team that didn't, that could, that, that was not supposed to, to play on that same field with Alabama back in 2019, they were able to pull an upset. If you're able to do that again with what appears to be a better Auburn team uh, and, and a worse Alabama team at that and a less talented offensive team, uh, that the Iron Bowl is going to be very interesting if Auburn can get some things right with their receivers. If they can just catch some passes, that would be awesome. It would make this team a lot more complete, in my opinion, like you just said, could make for an interesting 
Iron Bowl. That's going to do it for hour number one of On the Line. Starting at hour number two, we've got our Making Headlines segment. Going to go over what else happened in the SEC. A lot of wild games in college football this past weekend. You're listening to On the Line. Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on FoxSports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. Hour number two of On the Line, Lance Daw, Noah Gardner here with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. If you want to call into the show, 334-321-1390 is the number to dial, or if you want to text us, 334-564-1840 is the number to get you through. Hour number two here of On the Line, making headlines Coming up in this segment right here, the AP Top 25 poll was released on Sunday, as it always is, and Auburn was omitted from the rankings. They are sitting currently at number 26 behind Texas, uh, who does not deserve to be in the Top 25, in my opinion. And Noah, you had you took the soapbox for just a second earlier in the show, and I want to kind of give it back to you because you're making some really good points about why Auburn deserves to be in and some just some confusing AP logic outside of Auburn uh, over the course of these first six weeks. So let me tell you at least first where the AP logic is at. At least this is my perception on where it's at. Auburn is not ranked right now because the AP does not believe or this group of voters does not believe that Auburn has beaten a team that warrants them being in the rankings. So they will defer to the fact that they have San Diego State, who is undefeated, SMU, who is undefeated. They're going to give these group of five teams love who, although they may not have beaten a team yet that warrants them being ranked in the top 25, they're at least undefeated. So they're comfortable with putting them inside the top 25. I can't refute that argument. Right. And granted, A&M deserves to be ranked after pulling an upset against the number one team in the country. Therefore, too, they deserve to be in the polls. North Carolina State beat a top 10 Clemson team. I can understand them being ranked there. Texas is the team where if you want to make a gripe about it, you can say, oh, Auburn deserves to at least be at 25. But what doesn't feel right about all this is that, and we cover Auburn every day, every week, every ball game, and we watch them a lot closer than your average AP voter. And folks have to remember that when they get mad at the people casting in their ballots. But what doesn't feel right about this is I see Arkansas at 17. And their prerequisites to getting that high were capitalizing on beating a very highly ranked Texas A&M team that didn't deserve to be ranked that high. It was just preseason hype that put them up there. And the same can be said about Texas. Preseason hype. They capitalized on beating two top 15 teams, one of which was a top 10 team when they played them, Texas A&M. They capitalized on beating those two squads, and that catapulted Arkansas all the way up to eighth. Eighth. And then they get shellacked by Georgia, 37-0. to Don't play Georgia nearly as well as Auburn did. 
it was embarrassing. They had one yard after six plays. Auburn led. Auburn had Auburn had this game tied at the end of the first quarter. And Arkansas only drops five spots to 13. They then play Ole Miss this weekend, who I think is a good football team. And Ole Miss now back up to 13 in these rankings. They play Ole Miss, and they lose by one. Excellent ball game. I'm still not totally convinced that these two teams are necessarily better than Auburn or that they are leaps and bounds ahead of where they were last year. I think that they are good football teams, but I still think that more information is needed on both of those squads. Ole Miss happens to win a squeaker. Neither of those defenses is impressive at this point. I think they're both very beatable and two teams that I also think that Auburn matches up fairly well with. Arkansas only drops another four spots to 17. They're four and two. And what they're holding on to at this point is that they've beaten two Texas schools that were overly ranked at the times that they played them, whereas Auburn performed better against Georgia than they did, and their two losses are to top 10 teams. And you can't blame Auburn for the fact that they haven't had the same opportunities to play teams like A&M and Texas at this point. I think Auburn would have beat A&M earlier in the year. If Auburn had gotten to play A&M when they were 7th, Put them at 15, you know? Like, Auburn just didn't get that opportunity at that time, and they won't have the same starting point in the rankings as Arkansas had just a couple of weeks ago. But going back to the other point that I wanted to make here before I get off the soapbox, Texas is the other team that you can look at and you say, all right, does Auburn deserve to be ranked over this team? And I think so. You look at Texas's resume at this point, their most impressive victory Spin the wheel. Is it TCU? Is it Louisiana Lafayette? Is it Texas Tech? I don't know. I think they're all pretty comparable at this point. And so you you, you throw the dart fine. Their best win was Louisiana Lafayette. Whoop-de-doo. Auburn's best win is on the road in Death Valley against LSU. And LSU is just as good as TCU. LSU is just as good as, as Lafayette and as... Texas Tech, I, I don't think there's really any difference between any of those teams, and Auburn went into Death Valley and did that, whereas Texas has lost to Oklahoma by seven, and they lost to Arkansas in a blowout. And I think the only reason why Texas is ranked 25th right now is because they lost by seven to a top-six football team, and Auburn lost by 24 to a top to, to the top team in the country at this point. And people are literally just scoreboard watching and saying, oh, in their mind, the perception is, oh, well, Texas – lost barely to a, a really good football team where you and I both know that Oklahoma is not nearly as good as Georgia is, not even close. Right. And I also want to say, you know, you look at the bottom of this this AP poll, and like you said, you can't refute the argument that some of these teams here at the bottom, some of these group of five schools are undefeated, and sure, let's throw them in there. I think Auburn right now deserves to be ranked higher than Texas, San Diego State. I think you could make the argument for NC State. And then a team that I think, if we were doing our on-the-line poll this week, you you guys may call me crazy. I think Auburn, I'm not saying Coastal Carolina should be out of the top 25. I think Auburn should be ranked higher than Coastal. Because look at who Coastal has played. The Citadel, Kansas, Buffalo, UMass, UL Monroe, and Arkansas State. They've blown most of those teams out. 
But does that warrant a top 15 ranking? Again, like you talked about, no, it's like some of these teams started out so high that you can't really bring them down so low if they lose. But you look in the case of Coastal Carolina, they've slowly risen after beating some of these awful teams. I think Auburn right now, based on their resume, their best win is at LSU. We don't know a whole lot about how badly things could get with LSU, but it's still an impressive road win in the SEC. I think Auburn deserves to be in the top 25 right now. It's just so frustrating to see love get spread around to different teams in the AP poll. And this has not been just a this year thing. It feels like this has been a consistent thing theme, not just for Auburn, but for certain other teams in the AP poll. I'm looking at Notre Dame specifically in terms of getting a lot of love and getting a lot of bias. This is something that's been happening for a while. It's just, it's just nothing that we can do about it. It's just frustrating, and I disagree with the AP top 25. Uh, Notre Dame is where they're at because of where they started. Right, you know, exactly. There, there's there's several teams that are in that category. I'll say this. This is the other interesting part to all this. The first college football playoff rankings come out on November 2nd. That's the week that Auburn will be playing Texas A&M. Auburn has two more football games before that point. How does the college football playoff committee view Auburn in contrast to the AP voters, whereas I could see Auburn beating Arkansas, beating Ole Miss, and hovering around 15, maybe a little bit higher than that, considering assuming that Arkansas and Ole Miss don't lose any other games before Auburn plays them. Arkansas obviously can't, but say Ole Miss doesn't lose to Tennessee, say that Ole Miss is still hovering around that top 10 portion when they play, because I think Kentucky's going to drop. Oklahoma State could lose. You never know. I mean, Ole Miss could get to inside the top 10 just by teams losing and then beating up on bad teams on their schedule here. Say Auburn wins out here through the rest of October and beats those two teams. AP voters may propel Auburn up inside the top 15, may get Auburn up as far as, you know, 12 or 13 or something like that. But how does that, how is that viewed in contrast to the college football playoff committee who may see Auburn's resume and say, okay, they've beaten Arkansas. They've beaten Ole Miss. They have clearly beaten two of the other best teams in the SEC West. We haven't gotten to see them against Alabama yet, and their two losses are to top 10 teams. Does that warrant Auburn being a top 10 team in this wild year of college football with two losses? Does the college football playoff committee weigh Auburn a little bit heavier? And so on the one hand, while you and I may disagree heavily, with the AP poll at this point, the college football playoff committee, they may view Auburn completely differently in three weeks or after three Saturdays from now, if Auburn is to win out over these next two games, it'll shake itself out. And I do think Auburn will be around that top 10 in the first college football playoff rankings. If Auburn does win their next two, because Auburn will be six and two, one loss in the sec. They'll have beaten two ranked teams in the sec West. Those two teams, presumably number two and number three, however you want to write it. And then Auburn, the, the narrative begins to stand at that point. Oh, here comes Auburn up the rear they can make things interesting interesting at the end of the season. And I think that's a storyline that we've seen uh, several times with Auburn. And I really hope, I really hope that this team is able to put together some competent, some quality football over these next two games against uh, Arkansas and Ole Miss. It is so important that they win these two games. So important if they want to stay alive. And I think they have the ability to do so. Another headline here, Week 8 kickoff times were released in the SEC. Arkansas plays at 11 a.m. Uh, LSU and Ole Miss kick off at 2.30 p.m. on CBS. Mississippi State, Vanderbilt at 3. Tennessee, Alabama at 6. And then South Carolina, Texas A&M at 6.30. Noah, would you rather watch Ole Miss beat up on LSU or would you rather watch Tennessee uh, lose to Alabama? 
Man, I'm hoping Tennessee can put up some points on Alabama, but I will be watching the Tennessee-Alabama game such a typical, you know, I, I wish it was 2007 again when Tennessee was decent and Alabama wasn't as good and college football was a little bit more interesting, but um, I digress. College football is a blast this year and it is interesting. I just wish this rivalry was a lot closer and every year we're reminded of that. But this Tennessee team is interesting. Now, I wasn't super pleased with the way they finished the game against South Carolina this past weekend. I know we'll touch on that later, but Tennessee's found their quarterback and they found a quarterback in Hendon Hooker who can throw the football. And they've got some receivers like Bayless Jones Jr. They've got a running back. And uh, is it is it Tyus uh, Tyus Evans? Is is that the last name? I, I forgive me, but I keep seeing his highlights every week. Okay, I'm sorry, I'm not watching Tennessee play South Carolina. <laughs> I'm at the Auburn game, but I, I'm seeing the highlights every week for this Tennessee football team, and they're putting up a lot of points. I'm not super pleased with how they finished the game against South Carolina, giving up some points there at the end to what is a very bad offense in Columbus, but or Columbia, excuse me, but. I think this Tennessee team, you know, with the way that we saw this Alabama defense play this past week, I could see Josh Heupel being able to scheme up some things to maybe score some points. But then again, we thought that about Ole Miss, and it was a train wreck. So, um, you know, maybe save your popcorn for a different game. <laughs> I love that. I love that. And, yeah, Tyon Evans, the uh, Tennessee running back, has been really, really good so far this season. Like you mentioned, Hinden Hooker currently has the number one quarterback rating in the SEC. It's fifth in the nation. 185.89 is his QB rating. Look, I, I've been stewing on this after the A&M loss, and since this is essentially 2007, I would not put it out of the realm of possibility that in our picks, uh, I pick Alabama to to lose a game uh, again this season, this regular season. I'm not putting that out of the realm of possibility. Just, I, just don't do it to Tennessee because I, I don't think Tennessee will beat Alabama for another 5,000 days. <laughs> it may not be, but we also might have thought the same thing about that Texas A&M game. And I, look, I'm not saying that it's going to be Tennessee. It could be Auburn. I'm just saying would not put it out of the realm of possibility that I uh, I picked the Crimson Tide to lose once again in the regular season. I definitely think, definitely think after seeing the way A&M was playing before that Bama game, it is possible. It is possible for this Alabama team to lose another matchup. And something that I also want to point out with, with Tennessee, I mean, that offense right now, Josh Heupel has figured some things out. And like you mentioned, I'm not really impressed with the way that they finished that game against South Carolina, but man, they, uh, they've been rolling. They have been rolling. And then as far as the other matchup that I think is somewhat important, LSU Ole Miss, this LSU team right now, according to ESPN FBI, is projected to go 4-8. and eight. And uh, if, if Ole Miss is going to try and stay alive in the SEC West, they got to win that game, and I think they're going to win it potentially big. Uh, you saw what Kentucky did. To, uh, to, uh, to LSU this past week, ran for over 300 yards. Think about what Ole Miss and that offense is going to be able to do to that banged-up LSU defense. Also, don't forget, it was just announced earlier that Kayshawn Boutte is going to be out for the rest of the season. Oh, no. Another oh. another headline here. Sorry, uh, were you about to say something? I'll say this, too. Um, I don't want to fast-forward two weeks to that LSU game just yet. I don't know if you know this, but the game this weekend against Tennessee between Ole Miss and, and the Vols is in Knoxville, and it is at night. It's a 6.30 p.m. kickoff, SEC Network. Ole Miss is favored by just three points. So, And that Ole Miss defense is bad enough to, to give up points to that Tennessee offense. Shootout, it will be – I'll go ahead and say this right now. The Kentucky-Georgia game I think will be fun, but it will be a different kind of fun. And, and only fun for probably you know two and a half quarters like the Auburn game, and then Georgia will probably win by two scores. I do think Kentucky can present some issues for that Georgia offense. But looking at the entire slate of games, the most entertaining, not necessarily the closest, but the most entertaining game 
of the weekend in the SEC is Ole Miss Tennessee at night on Saturday, and I am so looking forward to it. If I could go to this game, if I could just pull up to Knoxville this weekend, I would, because I would love to see this matchup. Also, corn ready for that one. Talk, yes, absolutely, it's going to be fun. If they could do the Manning cast for this game, I'd absolutely love it. Alabama Mississippi State also at six. I know that Bama's favored by seventeen on the road, but we just saw Mississippi State beat A and M in their place, something that Bama didn't do this year. And I'm not talking about Mississippi State winning, but they are coming off a bye. A potential cover there, a possible cover, I think is in the realm of possibility. Um, is it going to happen? Probably not, but that could also be something to watch there. Six o'clock ESPN, two weeks from now. Another headline here, the Atlanta Braves are in action against Milwaukee Brewers in game three of the NLDS. Currently the Braves, bottom of the eighth, 2-2, two, two, two outs, 3 nothing, uh, 3 nothing Braves trying to close that one out there. Oh, man, you said 2-2. I was like, wait, what happened? The Braves lost a run, and then the Brewers put on two more? What's going on? Should have said the score first. (laughs) This is huge. Of course, we've seen the Braves blow 3-1 leads in the past, last year, but, you know, a 2-1 lead in a five-game series is is very important, and considering the next game is also at home, there's a lot to like about where the Braves stand at this point. Yeah, and let me tell you where I was at mentally – uh, whenever that happened, by the way, you mentioned you mentioned the uh, the blown lead. I was in Arizona last year, and I was uh, I had gotten chest surgery, and I had just come out, and for about two or three weeks there, I was just in easily the worst pain in my life, and I was just kind of foggy, and having to watch the Braves endure that was kind of was was a little bit more painful, I will say. Uh, than the surgery that I had. If they were able to pull off the the series against Milwaukee here, I would be so happy. I've turned into, I've not been a big fan of baseball, just nothing against it. I just haven't really watched it. But over the past year and a half, I've really come to enjoy some Atlanta Braves baseball. So hopefully they are able to uh, hold on here. Another headline here before we go to break, the Kansas City Chiefs dropped to 2-3 and three with a blowout loss to the Bills in Sunday night football. I know you've probably seen the meme, but uh, the Bills' first loss of the season, I, I don't remember who it was to. I believe it might have been to the Texans, uh, but they took it personally. Oh, the Bills lost to Noodle Arm in Week 1. Oh, the Pittsburgh Steelers. Oh, they lost to Noodle Arm. Man, that's even more shocking. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Go on. What were you talking about? The meme? I haven't seen the meme. The meme going around Twitter and Instagram is like, oh, man, Buffalo took that loss personally because they are beating the snot out of some of the teams that they have played since then. And we see them beat the Chiefs here on the road. Yeah, I'll tell you, there's there's a real problem in Kansas City. Is it going to keep them out of the playoffs? I don't know. But they play in a really, really, really tough division and they can't keep dropping games now granted the chiefs have played a really 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 tough schedule too so things have to have to ease easing up for them just a little bit but the chiefs are last in their division in a division that features also the los angeles chargers who are four and one that just ripped my heart out yesterday and then the las vegas raiders who are three and two who are also a very good football team of their own right denver's coming back to earth they're three and two right now they'll continue to lose as they continue to play good football teams but even even with the fact that Denver's three and two, that could present issues for Kansas City down the line. KC at two and three right now. The this is what they've done at this point. They beat the Browns by four. They lost to the Chiefs by one. Lost to the Chargers by six. 
beat the Eagles by 12, and then just lost to the Bills by 18. And, and last night didn't feel close really at all because the Bills took lead with seven minutes left in the second quarter and never relinquished it and, in fact, continued to extend there. They play a 2-3 and three Washington team that can score but can't play defense. I like the Chiefs in this game. After that, they get to play the Titans, who are very up and down, the Giants, the Packers, the Raiders, the Cowboys, and the Broncos. The, the schedule... E- e- eases up a little bit, but there are still really tough teams up and down this schedule. Like, I think the window's closing a little bit for this Chiefs team. I think they're definitely, they've definitely got uh, some issues moving forward. Patrick Mahomes threw six interceptions all last season. He's already throw, thrown six this season. Definitely going to have to uh, put it together. I want to get to one more thing here real quick before we go to break, just to get your thoughts, Noah. Ed Ogeron earlier today kind of laughed off his uh, status with with LSU and whether or not his job is in question said quote as far as I know I'm still the head coach of the LSU Tigers what are your thoughts on how quickly LSU could pull the uh, the trigger on Ed Ogeron I'll be honest I kind of based on the way everybody was talking about this Kentucky LSU game and then then also the Auburn game before that you kind of began to wonder like after how the Kentucky game transpired and how bad it was for LSU and how bad of a look it was and how many times they panned over to Ed Ogeron on the sideline if you were watching that game I mean it was a ton um you kind of, I was kind of a little, I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm not calling for the dude's job, but did we, did any of us expect, did, did people out there expect to wake up tomorrow or yesterday and see that he was fired? I'm, I'm pretty sure there probably was some folks that did, that did think that they were going to see that. And, you know, I, I don't like seeing coaches get fired midseason, especially of a team that's three and three right now and, and could still get to a bowl game. You just got to kind of ha- have to assess the situation and see is the locker room still in it for them and they still playing hard. And I'll be honest, the way that Kentucky was just bashing them around the field. And I mean, I saw a Cavossier smoke truck and LSU linebacker on a block. Uh, that is not, that is not a good look for a football team playing hard at this mm. point, at least on that defense. And the offense just lost their best playmaker, kind of the writings on the wall that this LSU team is probably not going to a bowl game. It's, it's that tough of a schedule left in the SEC West where they still have to play Arkansas. They still have to play Alabama. They still have to play Texas A&M. They still have to play Ole Miss. Like there's, there's four more losses potentially there for them. In addition to the fact that they also get to play Florida this week. So, I mean, there, there could be many more losses left on this schedule for LSU and, um, the pendulum swung really quickly for this for this LSU team. I'm, I think you'll make it to the end of the season, but after that, we'll see what happens. My stance on this is, you know, Ed Ogeron obviously won the title in 2019, but he's taken everything that made this LSU program special and just kind of thrown it out the window. They can't run the ball anymore. They don't play hard-nosed defense. They don't stop the run, and they don't win games at home. <laughs> they, they lost to Auburn, uh, and so... I think definitely we're going to see potentially some changes being made down the line. How quickly, I'm not sure. Going to have to see how they perform over these next few games. Like you mentioned, they've got a tough schedule ahead. Let's go ahead and get to break. You're listening to On the Line. Back on On the Line, Lance Dahl, Noah Gardner, ESPN 106.7, Fox Sports Central, Alabama. Really appreciate intern Sting holding down the controls there. One, two more outs rather to go in the Milwaukee Brewers Braves matchup. Top of the ninth, one out. We're almost done in Atlanta. Atlanta would take a two-one series lead. Noah, this could be huge. When have I heard we're almost done in Atlanta before? <laughs> <laughs> and Will Smith pitching. Hope they can hold on. Yeah. So Will Smith's on the mound. Yep. Man, talk about a polarizing figure. You know, <laughs> I talk to people all the time. 
and there, you know, it's it's like this great debate. That's how do you feel about Will Smith? And I always try to, you know, be a little political because I kind of like the dude, but when I tell when I can tell that they don't think that he's a good pitcher, I don't want to I don't want to say that I think he's a good pitcher because then they'll think that uh, yeah I'm crazy or something like that. But on the flip side, I think there are people out there that actually really like the guy too. He's just such a polarizing figure. I, I think one thing's for sure: it's always exciting in, in a negative way too. Like it's always exciting in an unnecessary way when Will Smith's on the mound. As I've heard uh, Bill Cameron, I think, say once on, on the drive, it's not a Will Smith save if the tying run is not on third base. <laughs> there you go. Absolutely. Yeah, and uh, it's, uh, it, it's, it's fascinating to see the way that this Atlanta bullpen has just kind of managed to hold together over the course of the season. Hope they're able to get it done here. Want to talk for a second with four minutes left in this segment about you know, going back to what we were saying about Auburn putting it together and, and the, the way that Brian Harson is going to build this program, and I kind of hinted at it earlier, Noah, and I want you to kind of elaborate with me here about Brian Harson saying, you know, last year he said, do you want it done the right way or do you want it done right now? Because having to build this program up to the level of Georgia and Alabama where these fans expect it to be is going to take time. And I think Harson right now, after beating LSU that is more than enough insurance for me as a fan to say, okay, this guy definitely deserves to have two or three or four more years in Auburn to see if we can really get this thing going. I think patience is something that we are going to have to preach throughout the rest of the season, regardless of whether or not Auburn beats Ole Miss, Arkansas, Ole Miss, or uh, A&M, Alabama. So I want to rewind about 15 years ago and break down where Alabama was at when Nick Saban first took over. I'm not saying that Auburn's going to have the same type of trajectory that Auburn had or that Alabama had. I'm not saying that Auburn's going to achieve that with Brian Harson, but look at where Alabama was at when Nick Saban took over and look at what happened in the state of the SEC too. what was surrounding them as well. There wasn't nearly as much competition for Nick Saban when he came into the league is what Auburn is facing right now, especially with his with Auburn having their best rivals, their two best rivals having the best time periods in football program history, right? But you look at Alabama, they come in that first year with Nick Saban and they go six and seven, they lose to Louisiana Monroe, right? And you rewind, Alabama was having these years where they were, you know, 10 and 2 in 2005 and then in 2006 they went 6 and 7 and that's all the end of Mike Shula and then you go into 2007 they went 7 and 6 it's like the Alabama time period wasn't doing very well but like I compared to where Auburn is at right now like Auburn was 6 and 5 last year you know and it, it's kind of a similar situation except almost a little bit tougher because they're rivals are dominating college football and having their best histories ever and it took Nick Saban time Nick Saban didn't win his first championship until three years, four years into his tenure at Alabama. It took him a little bit of time to get it together. Give Brian Harson some time. He's not Nick Saban. <laughs> He's definitely going to need uh, some time to get this recruiting class, the recruiting recruiting classes of the future together to, to get this program to where Auburn fans expect it to be and personally where I think Auburn can get to which is on the level of teams like Alabama, Georgia, you know, LSU of the past. Auburn has the opportunity with a, with with Saban coming closer towards the end of his time at Alabama to really take control of things in the SEC West if Brian Harson's able to kind of hold on there and be able to build things up. Question is whether or not they're going to be able to overthrow Georgia and Kirby Smart because they are rolling right now. On the other side of this break, we're going to continue to break down what happened 
all throughout college football, some wild games yesterday. Stick with us. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. 30 minutes left in the Monday edition of On the Line. Lance Daw, Noah Gardner here with you. Again, if you want to call in and give your thoughts on what happened over the weekend, 334-321-1390 is the number to dial. Had some fantastic college football happening over the weekend. A lot of upsets, a lot of games of the year in, in terms of potential. And there was a lot of great high school football as well, Noah. Yes, that's right. This week's Point Broadband High School Player of the Week is Opelika High School's Jarrell Stinson. The senior cornerback and Ole Miss commit delivered the hit for the game-sealing pass breakup on a two-point conversion in overtime against Robert E. Lee to win 21-20 over the Generals. The Bulldogs advanced to 5-3 and overall and 5-0 and in the region with a chance to clinch the region championship with a game against Valley this Friday. Jarrell Stinson, your Point Broadband High School Player of the Week. Point Broadband, smarter, faster fiber internet. Point-broadband.com. I want to give you an update on the Braves and the Brewers. That game has gone final. 3-0. Braves win. Take a 2-1 lead in that NL division series. Excellent. Go Braves. It's, uh, it's going down in Atlanta right now. Look, I would love to see Atlanta win this series. They've proven that they can. They won in Milwaukee. They've won again here in Atlanta. Excited to see how uh, how the Braves handle themselves move, moving forward. Real quick before we get to some of these other games, I want to get back to Brian Harson and developing this team to where he wants them to get to. Noah, you had some more thoughts. That's right, and I didn't fully clarify what I wanted to say about Brian Harson and where he's starting at right now in comparison to where Nick Saban started at at Alabama. I'll say this. It's going to be really hard to build a dynasty like that. And if that's what your measuring stick is, then you should probably change that. But with that being said, I do think it is reasonable to say that I want Auburn to compete for championships, to win a championship, to say that that's what you want out of your coach to be able to get to that point because that's what you're all playing for. And any coach will say that that's what they're playing for as well. But in comparing those two starts, like if you're not giving Brian Harson time Look at Nick Saban and how long it took him to really get the machine rolling. He went six and seven, seven and six in his first season, lost to UL Monroe. After that, he went 10 and two, lost to Utah in the Sugar Bowl. And I think some Auburn folks were saying, ha, 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 this thing's never going to get started. But then what happened? In 2009, they won the national championship. And then even after that, I think there's still evidence that the machine wasn't rolling just yet because in 2009, Honestly, they should have lost to Tennessee. Maybe not have even made the national championship that that year if it wasn't for late-game heroics in the Tennessee game and then in the Auburn game. Greg McElroy should be loved universally by all Alabama fans because if it's not for the drive in 2009, does the Nick Saban dynasty ever begin? And I'm not going to get into that because I've said that a lot of times on the show. And, um, you know, it's just an interesting debate to have. If they don't win that title, do they ever win one? Because – you go into 2010, what happens? Cam Newton rolls in, and Auburn goes and, and wins the national championship. Alabama goes 10-3 and that season. Even with Alabama winning the national championship in 2009, 
you go to 2010 and you still see the evidence that the team quite isn't, the machine hadn't quite happened yet. They didn't quite reach that level of dominance. Still lost three games that season. But then 2011 hits and the dominance begins. And Alabama, even if I remember correctly, that was the game of the century year and they lose to LSU in the middle of the season and they played LSU again in the national championship and won in a shutout. And then 2012 dominated Notre Dame. 2013, considerably possibly the best team Nick Saban ever had, and he loses to Auburn. And all it just continually Auburn was able to put some some, you know, throw some kinks into the plan for Alabama as well as Clemson. But one thing is for certain, the dynasty for Alabama really got started in 2011. Like that's where the machine really started rolling. And you think when Nick Saban first started over in 2007, that took him four or five seasons just to reach the level of just the beginning of the level of dominance that we would see in the 2010s. It took that long. And if you're over here thinking that Auburn overnight with what Gus Malzahn has left Brian Harson. If you think overnight that is just going to just flip the switch, Auburn's all of a sudden going to be a national championship contender, and, and you're going to be angry at, and think that Auburn made the wrong decision if Auburn doesn't achieve that in one year, that is ridiculous, and you need some perspective. You really do. Now, with that being said, I think it is fair to expect Auburn to one day try and get to a point of competing for championships. And, and, and as Brian Harson said in his postgame press conference, he said about Georgia, and he was highly complimentary about this, and I don't have a problem with him saying that, he said that that is the program across the field from us that we want to emulate. We want to be that good one day. And I think that's just another evidence of him saying some of the right things in these press conferences is saying that, look, we're Auburn. We're, we are a great program. We have a lot of great history. We, too, want to compete for championships and reach that level. And each and every week, I think this coaching staff has handled wins well. I think they've handled loss wells loss as well, and I think they're continuing to improve on a week-to-week basis. One season is not going to get this program where Brian Harson wants to get it to. He's going to need some time, but if you give him some time, I think he very well, and, and if you get, and you allow him to do it, and you let him coach, you don't interfere, you let him do his thing, you could see this thing get to that point, because I think the degree of difficulty is even higher for, uh, for Brian Harson than it is for Nick Saban when he came in. Urban Meyer was on the way out at Florida at that time. LSU had just won their most recent national championship, but they were getting to the point where they were so many years removed from when Nick Saban was at LSU and Les Miles was getting his fingertips on the program. And you could see they weren't at quite as high as the level as they were when Nick Saban was there. Like there just wasn't a dominant force in the SEC at that point. Now there's two dominant forces in the SEC, and they're your two biggest rivals, and they're killing you on the recruiting trail. And the previous coach left you with no offensive tackles and no receivers. Like, come on, give the guy some time, you know? And I think most folks are, but I just want to, I just hope people keep it in perspective. Auburn could go nine and three this year, maybe even better. Like, I think things are still on track for things to go swimmingly well for Auburn down the stretch. I agree. I absolutely agree. And we've we've harped on it. And even in the offseason, before the season even started, we were like, look, this is going to take time. If Auburn is going to get to the level that a lot of people want them to, it is going to take time. And people are just simply going to have to be patient. There's nothing else to it. Unless Auburn starts to win immediately, which even a 9-3 and three se- season in some fans' minds doesn't constitute being 
like up there, like where Auburn is pe- it wants to peak at, right? Like they still want to get to eleven and one. They want to get to the SEC championship. They want to get to the playoff. They want to be able to compete in that realm. But if they're going to do that instead of just nine and three, eight and five every year, it's just going to take a lot of time. One hundred percent. Want to go ahead and get to some of these uh, games that happened over the weekend. Got a lot of games we want to get to in this final half hour here, 20 minutes left now. Ole Miss and Arkansas, 51-52 was the final Rebels win at home. Look, this was a game where there were 41 points combined, scored combined in the fourth quarter. In the fourth quarter, 41 points were scored. This was an offensive shootout. It was a fantastic game to watch. Arkansas comes up just short on a two-point conversion uh, at, at the very end of the game. K.J. Jefferson threw for 326 yards. Arkansas also ran for 350. But this uh, this Ole Miss team was able to get it done at home, ran for 324 rushing yards of their own, five touchdowns on the ground. Matt Corral accounted for four, four touchdowns total. K.J. Jefferson accounted for six. This is a kid that I said this. I said this as the season began after that Texas game. I tweeted it out. And then people started getting on the hype train after me. And it wasn't because of me. It was just people coming to their own conclusion because this kid's a, kid is so good. But I want to say I was one of the first people to say it. I think this kid before his time is up as, at Arkansas, he can be a Heisman finalist or potentially win the thing. He is fantastic. This Arkansas Razorback team knows their identity. But this Ole Miss team, that one, also knows where they're at as well. They know how to play offense. But they, <laughs> the defense, I think, is a bit of a question mark. I like KJ Jefferson a lot and he's really fun to watch and I don't know if he'll win the Heisman. I don't know if he'll get to New York down the line. I still think there's a lot of room for him to grow as a passer. He had a big game against Ole Miss. Massive applause. It was a really fun game to watch. You're not wrong. Maybe he does get to that level, but I think you and I both can agree that throwing for 326 yards against Ole Miss, I don't know if that legitimizes him as a passer just yet this season go and put some other performances together throughout the rest of this season. And granted, they've had a really tough start to this season with some of the teams that they've had to play, but it doesn't necessarily easen up for them either. They still have to play Auburn. They still have to play Alabama. LSU still has a pretty good secondary. There are still tough teams on the schedule. Heck, they still have to play Mississippi State, who does play fairly good defense, you know? So, like, things don't easen up that much for Arkansas down the line from here. I'm still not sold that he's a good passer this year or that this Arkansas team is more than one-dimensional this season just by them playing Ole Miss and dropping 51. In fact, I think this is more of an indictment on Ole Miss's defense based on what we've seen from the Arkansas offense every week prior to this game against Ole Miss, which gives me more confidence that Auburn can beat Ole Miss in a couple of weeks because Auburn should be able to throw against them, right? Yeah, they definitely should be able to. After seeing, if, if Arkansas can put up 326 yards passing, I have a feeling if Auburn's receivers are actually catching the football like their position is designed to do, crazy thing to think about. Your receivers actually catching passes is wild. But if they're able to do that, I think they can definitely either keep the game close or come away with a win. I have one other point about this game before we get to the next one. Ole Miss only had Matt Corral throw the ball 21 times. He only completed 14 of them, which is still good. That's a good completion percentage. I'm saying Matt Corral had 14 completions in this game, and Ole Miss scored 52 points. If I had told you prior to the game 
that Matt Corral, and I love playing this game. I love asking people these questions. Hypotheticals are fun. If Matt Corral, if I told you this prior to the game, that Matt Corral would only have 14 completions, how many points would you have thought he, that they had? Would you have thought 52? No. And if you had also told me that Arkansas held the ball for 35 minutes as opposed to Ole Miss's 24, would not have th- thought that uh, Ole Miss would have been able to put up 52 points. But then go and look at the other guys who carried the football and you go and look at the rushing numbers, and I omitted those statistics purposefully for that exercise there because they had three guys that almost had all had 100 yards. They had two that broke 100, and then Matt Corral was six yards short of it. I don't think Matt Corral gets quite the credit that he should for his running ability, and then on top of that, his ability to throw also while on the run. Honestly, he's the best dual-threat quarterback in this conference, and I'm not going to say he's the best dual-threat quarterback in the country, But if you want to really go by the words dual threat, see, sometimes dual threat just gets slapped onto a player because he can run the ball. But is he really a dual threat? Can he throw the ball actually well, too? Because I would rather just call some of these guys that are that are running quarterbacks, just call them scramblers or running quarterbacks. They're not really dual threats because they can't throw the ball. Matt Corral may very well be. I'll say it. He's better than Malik Willis. Matt Corral is the best dual threat quarterback in all of college football. For his ability to throw the ball, but also his ability to run the football, that's also very good, too. And I don't think his rushing ability gets quite the respect that it should. He ran the ball 15 times in that game. He had the second most attempts for Ole Miss. Nobody talks about his legs. They talk about his arm. But he almost ran the ball as many times as he had more rush attempts than he had pass completions. What? And he had 94 yards to go with it and two touchdowns on the ground. And then that's me even not even really talking about Snoop Connor and, and Paris Jr., Ole Miss is a very good rushing team, and there's some there's that's scary, that's scary. That's that's the other side. I don't know how Auburn's defense is going to play against them in a couple weeks. I think Auburn will be able to score, but Ole Miss should be able to score too. I think Ole Miss is a vastly better offensive team this year than they were last year. I think they got better in that way. Defense is about the same, but offense has leaps and bounds improved. When they're able to run the ball, this is a scary, scary Ole Miss offense. Matt Corral has accounted for 20 total touchdowns this season. That means he's on pace to have uh, at least 40, depending on what he does in the postseason, uh, assuming that Ole Miss is able to get to there. But like you mentioned, 15 rush attempts for Matt Corral, and none of those were, were, were sacks, right? That was Because he didn't get sacked once. There, none, not once was he under pressure, and he had to scramble away, and he got dropped, and that was counted as a rush attempt. These were these were either designed runs or these were scrambles that he got positive yardage on. Six point three yards per attempt, and again, no sacks factored into that equation. One more game here, real quick, before we got a break. We touched on this one briefly briefly earlier. Kentucky forty two, LSU twenty one. Final from Lexington. Wildcats are six and zero. What did you take away from this game, Noah? I watched this game with two good friends of mine and they're Kentucky fans and I'm just so happy for them. I really am six and zero this season. First time since bear Bryant was there They they, they love some football Kentucky people do. And just hearing them talk about their experience in college, cause they got there a year after Mark Stoops was hired or, or around the same time they can speak to how the development of the program has, has, has changed and how the perception of the program has changed. And you go to the year where they went to the Citrus Bowl and beat Penn State and won 10 games the last year with Benny Snell. And, the, and they're telling me that that's the year that that Kentucky team, that the fan base really said, that, like that's when they became very 
very, very involved with football, that they just fell in love with it, right? Not just them, but just the entire fan base as a whole, that everybody's bought in on this thing. And we kind of laughed this off back in the offseason. You and I did, Lance, when we when you know Stoop said that he felt like Kentucky wasn't that far behind Georgia and Alabama. And I still think there is a sizable gap behind Georgia and Alabama. But one thing is for sure, they play Georgia this weekend. They get the, the the narrative and the and the discussion and the discourse about the Kentucky Georgia game this year is different. I think that you can go into this game and say, all right, this should be entertaining for longer than it has been in the past, mainly because of that Kentucky defense. And I'm still not certain, and I'm still not sold on the Georgia offense, especially with the way that Auburn played in the first half against Georgia. I, I still think that Kentucky can give that offense fits that they can actually go toe-to-toe for three or four quarters from a defensive standpoint. The question comes down to, can they score? And Will Levis right now, he had his best game of the season against LSU. I'm not certain if the offense has turned the corner, but the way that we talk about this Kentucky program is different, and there's a reason for it. Yeah, and I, I, I like what my, Mark Stoops said there in the offseason. You know, he doesn't feel like there's that much of a gap behind his program and Alabama and Georgia's. From a, co- a competitive standpoint, absolutely, they play their hearts out. Uh, but according to Vegas this weekend, and I'm not, not, not saying that this is right, but there is a 23.5-point gap between Jesus. Kentucky and Georgia. Really, really big line there, really, really shocking. We're going to get to a break. Spectre, hold on, and on the other side, we'll wrap up the show. Wrapping up the Monday edition of On the Line, Lance Dahl, Noah Gardner here with you on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Going to go ahead and get to the phone lines now as we wrap up the show. About four minutes left. 334-321-1390 is the number to dial. And Spectre's on line with us. What's up, Spectre? Hey, what what you guys really think about the game, huh? I thought it was a disappointing performance. Obviously, losing to 24 at home against one of your rivals is not going to cut it in terms of leaving the game satisfied. But like we were talking about earlier in the show, I feel like Auburn still got a lot of things out ahead in front of them, and Georgia just looks like the best team in the country. Disappointing as it is, I feel like a lot of people saw this coming. Okay, uh, two games in since our receivers coach has been fired. And uh, have y'all seen any difference in the receivers? I think they're still dropping as many passes as they were before but I have seen a slight difference in their general awareness. You know, there's no late arrivals coming out onto the field in, in the ball game. you know, where, where somebody didn't know that they were the personnel that needed to be on the field. I think their route running is a little bit crisper. Um, and they were able to get open a few times against a really good Georgia secondary. So I think in, in the things that people don't typically think about, they are a little bit better. But as far as pass catching, that still isn't there. Yeah, uh, that's, that's the key right there. That ball hits the palm, hits the fingers, anything. It should be caught. Um, I was thinking maybe our receivers have got weak wrist, if you will. Okay? These guys are supposed to be working out and strength coach and all this, okay? But it seems like Nix throws the ball, and he throws it hard, and so does Finley. It seems like it hits their hands, and you see their hands going backwards. If you do it in slow mo, mm-hmm. you see that you see the like the wrist flips back, like the balls hit, <laughs> like trying to catch a bullet. But uh, but think, uh, Shanker doesn't have a problem with that. He's no, and I don't boy. think part of that's just you know you, you hear the term soft hands, and maybe that I, I 
I know you're not supposed to use this word if you're a golfer. Um, I think it could be mental, but you know, you, you've probably heard of the yips, right? When it, the golf term, um, where where you just get uncomfortable, worry about a putt, and it's just all in your brain and everything like that. Uh, whatever the football equivalent is for receivers, they've got the yips. The, these guys just got a case of the drops. I, I think it could be a mental thing. Well, well, I need to go see a psychologist. <laughs> uh, I, mean, I mean, gee whiz, if, it, if it's not physical, if it's mental, then it, uh, they're practicing the wrong thing. Uh, all right, getting back to the, our new receivers coach. Now, you know Williams was the fourth best out of eight coaches in recruiting. So where does this new guy rank? And uh, he hasn't had the opportunity to go and get any recruits yet, so he's obviously going to be down on like 24-7 sports recruiting. I remember at one time uh, Cornelius Williams well, may have been at the top of all of Auburn's coaches as well. Um, what, from, what we were heard, from what we were hearing from Christian Clemente last week about Darius Clemens, the wide receiver, it doesn't look like it's hurt Auburn for some of their high-value wide receiver targets, but it also doesn't necessarily look like it helped them either that they moved on from Cornelius Williams. I guess just time will tell. Players are right. players are used to this kind of stuff. I think I don't think it'll affect Auburn too much from a recruiting standpoint. Right. One last question: Do you know where where he played at before, or where he coached at before? Keysaw. Okay, see you guys. Keysaw's played at or coached rather at a lot of different places. He's kind of bounced around, and I believe he was at Boise with Harson as well yeah Alabama as well yeah Alabama as well but that's going to do it for the Monday edition of on the line we'll be back tomorrow going to continue to talk about what happened over the weekend because there is a ton of games that we didn't get to we'll see you guys tomorrow